Uh, Father God, I pray uh, that you would move among us uh, for the rest of the morning. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would um, school our spirits uh, in, in the way uh, in which we should live. I just really feel uh, the Spirit impressing on my uh, heart today. You know how uh, uh, Jesus commands us to be, uh, well, he says that we are the salt of the earth. Um, and uh, I just had a vision earlier of uh, like a spice shaker, a salt shaker, but the spices coming out were mixed. There's all sorts of different flavors. And I just pray, Lord, that you would purify the flavor that we are so that we would be the, the pure flavor of the kingdom on earth for people that when they come to us, they would get the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, and, uh, and nothing else. That we would be the aroma of Christ and not the aroma of anything else in the world. Um, the more, I feel like saying, the more you are your kingdom self, the more you are the person that Jesus has called you to be, then uh, the more true you are to yourself. You're not sacrificing yourself, you're gaining yourself when you follow God. That's not in the sermon, I just really felt led to say that this morning. So receive it, uh, if that is you. I want to continue this morning in uh, a sermon series on uh, grace. We're in, what, something like week four of our sermon series <clears throat> on grace. <clears throat> I said the first week that I've been trying to figure out how to apply grace in the world since I was a very young Christian. I've been uh, walking with God for uh, my whole life. I didn't really have a, a believing family when I was younger, but I'd come to the Lord through some babysitters. And one of the things that always struck me about the kingdom of God was this notion of grace. And I've been gradually figuring out exactly what it is and, and, and uh, trying to find a way to apply it on earth such that people would understand it and find it accessible. And I've said that grace is the most Christian of Christian virtues. It's the, it's the thing that you find in the kingdom of God only. You don't really find it anywhere else. And it's the most alien of all virtues on earth. It's, I, I maintain that even most Christians don't understand what grace is. It is just so weird. And if you want to be a weird person on the earth, the best way to do it is to get good at grace. You know what another word for weird is? Holy. That Hebrew word for holy that you read all through the Old Testament, it literally just means weird. It just means distinctive, set aside, different, weird. So if you want to be a weirdo, uh, then be a weirdo in grace. I mean, that's the way to get strange uh, in the world. Like a lot of you, um, I... Uh, uh, my, my early 20s were a real fruitful time in terms of figuring things out and figuring out how to live. And in my case, it was figuring out how to live like a Christian. I, I, really wanted to be, I really wanted to be a real Christian, a true Christian, right? I really wanted to get to the bottom of this thing called the kingdom of God and to be uh, a Christian disciple. I remember reading this verse from uh, the first chapter of the epistle of James about true religion. Do you guys know this verse? like James 1, 27, true religion. I remember seeing that and thinking, oh, all right, this is it. True religion is, who knows it? Caring for orphans and widows in their distress. Yeah, nobody ever quotes the second half of the verse. Uh, is, true religion is to care for orphans and widows in their distress and, thanks, man, 
to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Uh-oh, yeah, <laughs> it's like, oh, there's a second clause? Yeah, yeah, so you want to be really, really generous, right? Particularly to those who are in great need of generosity, right? Orphans and widows in their distress, for instance. And you want to keep yourself from being polluted by the world, which is to say, you want to really have a strong relationship with truth, right? With, with God's reality, right? You don't want to be contaminated by all of the false ideas and the untruths uh, that are out there in, in the world. So, like, I, I focused in especially on that first clause. I thought, well, I mean, at least there's a direct way to do this, right? I can give my life to care for the poor. I really felt called by God to do that. One of the things I did is that I moved into this place called East Palo Alto, California. I tell lots of stories about those days. East Palo Alto at the time was, uh, it was like an African-American ghetto in the middle of Silicon Valley. It was a really unique place. It was the national per capita murder rate leader. It was the most violent place in America. In fact, studies had shown that it was the most violent place in the world short of an active war zone. It was just an incredible neighborhood. It had been just completely blown out by the crack ep epidemic. So I moved in with a couple of buddies and, uh, and just started caring for you know orphans and widows in their distress. And we didn't find one kid. I, I lived there for like two and a half years, never found one kid who had two parents, and most of them were raised by their grandparents, and, and just all sorts of broken families and, and all sorts of violence and stuff, and uh, you've heard me tell stories about it, but I was just going for it, right? I was like, if this is true religion, I can do this without limits, and so we just invited addicts off the street to live with us. We built a shower in the backyard. I built bunks in the garage you know, and just sort of lived in that community and incarnated there as, as best we could. And it was, you know, very, very colorful. You know, every day I'd come home. I had this part-time job. I used to pay the bills, and I'd come home. And, and at first, like, all the prostitutes and all the crack addicts, the dealers on the street would rush to me as I drove down my street because they thought I was there to buy, you know, because I was pale skin and none of them were. So you're either a cop or you're here to get drugs or, or sex, right? That's all. Uh, and gradually they, get, they got to know me, and I was called into dangerous situations. I walked into situations of active gunfire because I was the resident Christian minister. had people threaten to kill me with guns. I had one guy threaten to kill me with a knife. He was brandishing. Uh, one night I ended up in a very unsavory neighborhood in San Francisco, and a whole mob of people rushed out of the projects and surrounded me and my truck with bottles and bricks and said, get out of here now or you're going to get killed. I remember thinking in that moment, this is a completely non-relevant aside, I remember thinking, oh, I hope they don't damage my truck. <laughs> Just, I didn't have any money. I loved that truck, you know. Uh, I got out of there alive, and so did my truck. And eventually the clutch went out. But, you know. Another thing I noticed is that I became what I called a bucket in my church community. I was part of a great church, and I thought, well, you know, I was invited to be a young leader in the church. I thought, well, I'll lead people into doing this generosity stuff, but instead, I would get referrals, right? I became the guy who did this, me and my buddies in East Palo Alto. So instead of the church sort of becoming a place that where everybody welcomed addicts into their garage, <laughs> Instead, everybody sent the addicts to my garage, 
right? Uh, and so one of my first conundrums was, well, I know how to do this stuff now because any idiot can do it. You just jump in and try. That's where that got started for me. But, but like, how do you make a community of this grace thing? How do you do that? Right? And as a 21, 22, 23-year-old, I, I was thinking hard about this. How, how would you build a whole church where radical grace is one of the building blocks? You know, what would that look like? It's part of the genesis of, of uh, Blue Water. Eventually, um, I started thinking about being polluted by the world and a different way the world addresses these issues that I was dealing with on a daily basis. You know, I had race relations. I had uh, racial justice. I had drug addiction. I told some stories in previous weeks about me having jumped into the homosexual community in order to bring uh, hope and promise of the kingdom there and trying to figure out like all these things I was, I was wrestling with. So I thought, well, I'm going to go study some of the big questions. So I went to graduate school originally to study what I called cultural politics. It's like people identify themselves in ways that really divide themselves. So like, what's that about? I had this feeling that in the coming years, um, cultural, nationalistic, it was called back then, or ethnic identity was going to become super divisive and very, very politicized. Yeah, I was right. Uh, I went to grad school to study with this particular guy. He was boring as heck, so I quit that um, and studied uh, other things. Instead, I got a master's degree in economic development, how do poor countries, poor communities develop economically, because that's a form of justice. And then I got my PhD in security studies. Didn't go to seminary, even though I wanted to minister with my life. Uh, I went to uh, graduate school, pretty elite graduate school, because I wanted to get to the truth of things. So that was it, man. That was it for me. It was like generosity, 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 coupled with this really hardcore pursuit of truth in ways that I thought really mattered. Uh, and, uh, and even then, I was formulating this idea about grace, that grace is, how would you define it? There you go. If you've been following, on, following along in previous weeks, grace is truth plus generosity. It's generosity plus truth. It's caring for orphans and widows and figuring out what's polluted and what's not polluted and keeping oneself from being polluted by the world. It's both sides together. And if you lose connection with either one, then you can't fly. <laughs> right? You need two wings to fly. You need two wings to make it. Um, so let's, uh, let's read. Uh, uh, I'm, I'm going to do all of Romans 12 today in the next 20 minutes. Uh, and so let's read the first couple of verses. I'm going to put them up on the big screen. Uh, Romans 12, I'll just tell you right now, is a meditation on grace and how to live it as a community uh, of believers. And uh, it begins this way. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So set yourself aside. Right? Offer yourselves up as a sacrifice. Be different. Be weird. Be holy. There you go. How? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. 
Isn't that an interesting phrase? Don't conform to worldly patterns. Sounds a little bit like James 1.27. Don't conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to have truth discipline. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me ask you, warm-up question, uh, what are the patterns of the world? Audience participation. Do what feels good. Keep on. What's that? Licentiousness, that's a good word. That's a grad school world. I studied a long time to be able to use words like that. What else? Profit at any cost, right, which is sort of the lack of generosity. Yeah. Selfishness. There you go. Yeah. Always look out for number one. And who's number one, Mike? You are. That's right. That's right. There you go, buddy. Yeah. Tricia. What's that? Living in the flesh, fleshly things, right? Fleshly pleasures and sure. Yeah. What else? Unforgiveness, keeping accounts. It's a different form of ungenerosity. Yeah. What else? Materialism. Yeah. All right. So you guys know. Um, and uh, these are the things, evidently, to which we must not conform, uh, are things like that. Um, let me ask you just a follow-on question, just for the sake of, of meditation. When someone asks you if you believe, right, or that comes up in a conversation, you've been in conversations like that, where it comes time to out yourself as a Christian, <laughs> those of you who are believers, when someone asks you if you believe, and that comes up, in that moment, how much do you worry about distinguishing yourself from those offensive Christians? Yes? No. Raise your hand if yes. yes. Be honest. Hold them up there proudly for all to see. You judgmental good. No, I'm just saying. Because yeah, I'm probably one of those offensive Christians that you need to distinguish yourself from. All right. When, let's go back to that moment, shall we? Um... Someone asks you if you're a believer, or it comes time to out yourself as a believer in conversation. Um, how much do you worry about distinguishing yourself from worldly people in that moment? A couple of you. Isn't that interesting? And I think that's just sort of a commentary on our culture, you know, when it's like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those idiot Christians. As opposed to, I'm a Christian. I do not conform to the patterns of the world. Uh, and, you know, and it's not like a direct opposition, but it's interesting. I think the world has kicked our butt that way. I think we worry more about not being lumped together in our community of believers uh, than we worry about really, I don't know, being salt on the earth, being different, distinct, and weird in grace, right? Which is both truth and generosity, and all of these other things that we're going to read about uh, in, in a second. Um, let's, um, let's just jump in, shall we? Let's just read Romans 12. Uh, it's a little bit longish, but it's written as sort of a, 
it has a, the quality of a list to it. So it reads pretty quickly. Uh, you can open up your smartphone Bibles, read along in your cool old school Bible, or it will be up on the big board uh, behind us in the NIV. I'll start at the beginning again and read those first couple of verses. Everybody ready? Yeah. All right. Focus in now. Focus in and really understand this and let it teach you. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. I want to stop already. You know what that word mercy is in Greece? It's charis, like, like from charisma. Uh, it, it, it means like... Uh, an inspired gift. Charismata is sometimes translated as spiritual gift. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a piece of generosity from God to you. I love it. So in view of that, in God's mercy or God's grace, you could translate it. I urge you, therefore, in view of this, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, weird, and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, spiritual act of worship. This is what you're about. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your thinking. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is how you're going to know what God wants and how to live. Four, here we go. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, I speak from a place of grace this thing called grace. That's the place I speak out of. I'm going to say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. If you're going to judge someone, judge yourself. In accordance with grace, though, be generous even with yourself. Just as each one of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We all belong to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Bring game and do it. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Talk about that verse in a second. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need and practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, 
but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it's mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's a quote from another piece of scripture. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yeah. I'd summarize a lot of that by saying, move in the opposite spirit. Right? If someone is evil, you return good. If someone is stingy, you return generosity. If someone is judgmental, you return acceptance. Right? It's a judo. You don't fight force with force. Right? When somebody comes against you with force, you give peace. When somebody comes against you with apathy, you give force. Because um, you're different. Because you're weird. Right? Because you're a grace person. Right? Your generosity and truth. Both wings. You can elevate over anything. What do you think of that passage? Do you like that? What struck you? Any verse jump out at you in particular? Do was right in the in the sight of everyone, but everyone has a different opinion these days, right? So exactly how do you do that? How do you live in a way where you don't offend anyone? Good luck. Let me know. <laughs> Whatever your gift is, get on and use it. Get on with it, you know, which presumes that, well, you should probably figure out what you're good at. Uh, and then you have to do it. I think that's a, that's a real turning point in the passage, actually. Yeah. It's like, and, and what does that have to do with grace and being non-conforming to the world exactly? Yeah. Good observations. One more? I'm doing this because we were going to discuss this passage at Ohana Group, my Ohana Group on Wednesday, and they didn't let me get to it. <laughs> talked about a bunch of controversial stuff instead. So I'm just wondering what people actually think about it. Let's just go through it, yeah? This is a passage about being a Christian nonconformist. And uh, the way I would say that is this is a passage about being a Christian nonconformist. Because there are a lot of nonconformists out there. Well, they call themselves nonconformists, right? There are a bunch of people nonconforming in the same way. <laughs> and the thing about being a Christian nonconformist is that you have to nonconform in an individual way. Right? You've probably heard me say before, if you've been around Blue Water, only God makes actual individuals. Everyone else goes with the crowd. Uh, but God is about freeing you to be the exact individual person that you are. Which is why I love that, that, uh, those verses in the passage. Like, everybody's different. Right? We're connected, yeah, but we're connected like a body. <laughs> right? we're, we're, we're diverse and connected. And that's something that you don't find anywhere else. No matter how, the world, how much the world preaches diversity, they require conformity. And only in the church of God is that not true. Um, so if you want to be a nonconformist, this passage tells you how to do it. If you're a nonconformist, then you can understand God's perfect and pleasing will. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. 
And if you pull it off, if you're free to be whatever and do whatever in any situation, then you're free to figure out what God's will is. If you're not free from all the pressures that surround you, then you always have trouble knowing what God's will is, what God's truth is, right? If, if just to be simplistic about it, if peer pressure affects you at all, it compromises your thinking and you cannot discern what God's will, his truth is. So that's how it starts. If you can't individuate, you can't illuminate. Uh, be, it, start, it goes through a bunch of virtues. Be humble uh, and do your part according to your ability. Um, uh, be generous, uh, I think that means. Uh, humble is you know, generous, like don't consider others better than, than you ought. But figure out what you do and then do it with a good, committed, generous spirit. Uh, which is a, a funny way of saying, don't covet, right? Don't covet somebody else's ability, right? Just use the ability that God has given you uh, and do it uh, full-heartedly, which means that you can't waste time wanting to be somebody else, right? So here's that being individual thing. Don't compare. As soon as you compare, you covet, then you're no longer an individual. You're dead. Uh, you're not going to know what God's will is in your life or in the world for that matter. But do it, right? You have to do it. There's a little insight here. If we want to hang together as a community, one of the things that's required is that we all minister. Right? Everybody has to bring game. Everybody has to bring a way of serving. This is not uh, a, just a receive ministry community. You come here to participate. It's like a sports club, right? It's like you wouldn't go to a gym and just sit and watch other people exercise. Okay, some of you would go to a gym and just sit and watch. Like you just look around right now and we just, we tell who those people are, you know, you know, in grace, in grace. But, but, but this, is, this, is a, this is a gymnasium. This is a place of power, a dunamon. And um, so you come here. Uh, and you participate, and that's how we hang together, right? So participation makes us uh, stick. Probably say more uh, about that. Each member belongs to all the others, right? I mean, we belong to each other. Do we belong to those other Christians? You know, you know those Christians I'm talking about, those offensive Christians? Come on, we know those offensive Christians. I might be one. Um, do, we, do we belong to them? You, you belong to them? Do they, do they own you? What's the difference? Do they belong to you? Do you own them? Are you responsible for them? This, is, this hurts. You know those offensive Christians. Not the good ones like us. But you know the offensive ones? Right? Do you belong to them? Probably. You're not willing to commit right at this moment, but and do they belong to you? Are you responsible for them? Are they part of our tribe? Oh man, it's so hard. It's so hard, right? You know what I do uh, when I interact with those offensive Christians? You know, because uh, I'm a cool person. Because that can be a little difficult sometimes, right? Sometimes I feel like my chief enemies are other Christians, and we won't go into that. But what I do is I try to behold them 
And then I do this. I try to figure out what they're good at, what their purpose is, their gifting is, their calling is, and I try to inspire them to move in it. Because that's what Romans 12 has told me to do. It's like, everybody's got something, they should do it, we all own each other. That's kind of the flow of the passage, right? And that's why I'm such a fiend for purpose and trying to figure out calling and gifting and everybody bring game and stuff like that. As I figure, as offensive as you are, looking at you, Andy. <laughs> in your stupid Dallas Cowboys hat. <laughs> the Dallas Cowboys are like the Yankees of the NFL, just rich, arrogant clubs that... Yankees, those offensive football teams, all right? I, like, but God has put something precious in you, and if I just get you to use it, you will be a blessing to us, you know? And, and then, other than just a, just a dead weight, you know? My gift is, is, is sarcasm, being snarky and insulting. I feel like, it's, like I'm better at that than anyone. And so I just try to do it in the right spirit. Um, but, but do you get it? And that's kind of the flow of Romans, to see somebody as God designed them and to get them to move according to their design. And the rest of the stuff they come with, I do not judge or get offended by it because it's not my job. My job is to keep this thing together, right? And to multiply grace in the body of Christ and thereby multiply grace in the world and I will stand on that hill and there I will die and um, anyway scripture suggests that I, I do something like that to distinguish as an individual does not mean to divide the community there's something about being an individual in God that helps you to unite communities Right? Remember, I was thinking a lot about how do you do communities of grace, and, and I came upon this nugget. It's like, I build a church where everybody brings game, and suddenly the offenses that would tear us apart don't. I'm trying it. You guys are kind of an experiment. Yeah. I don't know. The results are mixed. Um, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Those are such strong verbs, right? Hate evil. Don't like identify evil. It's like, hate it. Don't identify good, but cling to it. Grab it, you know. Attach to it is what that, that verb means. What that tells me is that, you know, evil, good, what's that about? Well, that's about truth, right? Knowing what's evil and knowing what's good, that's about truth. You need passion in order to hold on to truth. You know, zeal without knowledge is not a good thing. We went through that proverb uh, last week. Zeal in service of knowledge is life. Right? Get very, very passionate about the truth. Very, very passionate about what is evil. Very passionate about what is helpful. You know, wherever that investigation takes you, go passionately in that direction. And put your heart into it, not just your head. You know, and that's the only way uh, you're going to make it. Uh, and Paul, who wrote this, was wise enough to know that. It's hard to not simply conform to prevailing opinions, right? If you don't have enough passion for truth, then you'll just be a conformist. 
right? And the world is getting super compassionate about un uh, super passionate about untruth, right? This cancel culture thing. Like if you step out of line, you will be canceled. And so the amount of courage, the amount of emotional strength it takes to step out of line, to be a nonconformist, is is as high as ever uh, in this country, and of course in other countries, it's it's even a tougher battle. And I think a time is coming. Like cancel culture isn't going to go away; it's going to multiply. It's going to get more and more pointed, and there's going to get more penalties behind it and stuff like that. And you're just going to need to be really passionate about truth if you're going to be a nonconformist. Otherwise, you're just going to go with um, whatever face group group you happen to be in. Uh, bless and don't curse. Repay evil with good. Does that even apply to the idiots? I mean, what, like, you know, what if somebody's just really offensive? Uh, what if they're a big-time idiot, somebody in the church or somebody at your workplace or something like that? Can't you repay that sort of evil with evil? No, you've got to move in the opposite spirit. You need to bless them. You need to feed them if they're hungry or give them uh, water without their, if they're thirsty. I had a friend who was having really a hard time with his neighbors. And uh, I remember this story, a simple story, but I remember it because it was just so stark, he decided to bake them muffins. And uh, he was so angry, he said, Jordan, I was so angry at them that I took them a basket of muffins. <laughs> and I thought, that's just a great proverb. <laughs> Take muffins to those who anger you. If next week I get a lot of muffins, <laughs> you're all in trouble. And then I can bake them muffins, yes, and we'll all just get muffiny. Uh, do you believe this advice? Do you believe Romans 12? I'll give you eight seconds to figure it out. I mean, do you really believe that this is the right way to do it? To be a nonconformist, you respond to judgment with generosity. You respond to untruth with penetrating truth. Um, like we discussed last week, you get to the truth behind the issue. Yeah. But what makes a community of grace? Well, in my mind, what makes a community of grace is, well, first you have to understand what grace is. You have to understand that it's both generosity and truth. Do we understand that now? We're like, we're, all, we're on it, right? We're all about it because we're brilliant. We're awesome. We're better than the other people. Um, and then you have to do your job. You know, and, and there's that connection. Like, you got to know what you bring and you got to bring it and you have to see what other people bring and you have to get them to use it. And then the body works. And it looks like something that's just really incredible. And the fuel is grace. F grace is what has made that work. You know? You know? I, I, don't, I don't care how much David offends me. Right? I'm going to see what his gift is. I'm going to call him to do it. And we're going to work together and we're just going to become something weird and inexplicable and different in the world. We're going to be salty. We're going to be light, right? But, but that's just kind of built on me willing to not judge, not reject, to speak truth, to not give up on that, to encourage him and his truth not to give up on that. You see how grace sort of makes the machine hang together? 
the body work. That's, that's what it is. I just wanted to share that with you because I think there's going to be a lot of stuff coming uh, against us. Lack of grace will divide us. Satan's number one strategy against Christians is not to tempt you to do some crazy dark sin. It's not to tempt you even with fleshly desires and stuff like that, even though that's a big problem. Satan's number one strategy, his number one strategy is to get you angry at other Christians. That tears apart communities. And then you just have to, you have to leave. You just can't deal with those people. Right? And then he's got you where he wants you. Isolated and alone. And it's over for you. Even if you do manage to hold on to your faith, you won't keep ministering. And if you do minister, you will lack all of the other people that fill out your toolkit. Right? Because you've only got your gift. You see how it works? And Satan has been doing this from the very beginning. You know, he's been doing this with Paul and Barnabas getting angry at each other, with Paul and Peter getting angry at each other, with, with Judas not finding Jesus, the right sort of Messiah. And like, this has been the attack from the very beginning. Right? And it's just so easy. It's so easy because you all are so offensive. Right? And I'm such an idiot, right? And I say such outlandish things that, ah, you know, let's just do our, let's, let's just do our own cool Christianity. We'll just meet in a cafe and, you know, and study scriptures that we like and just share life with people we like, you know. And they just, it's been the strategy. Uh, from the beginning. And, and I just want us to be able to resist that because, like I say, scarce times are coming. Right? I think we're, gonna, we're starting some very lean years uh, in the world. And uh, there's going to be uh, a lot of finger pointing, <laughs> you know, a lot of shouting. Things are going to get less peaceful, not more peaceful. Um, and uh, in the midst of all of that, I want to make sure that Christians don't conform. That we don't conform. We want to be the individuals that God made us to be. We must be more generous, generouser. We must be more passionate about truth. We have to be truthier, which is to say we have to be gracier. Everybody say gracier. So, Father God, I pray that you would work grace into our hearts and make us better people than we were when we showed up, which is to say, gracier people than we were than when we showed up. I pray, Lord, that you would free our hearts from offense, from judgment, and from untruth. I pray that you would galvanize us, inspire us, empower us to be Christian nonconformists. Give us the ability to not conform, but instead to conform to the kingdom of heaven on earth as revealed through Jesus Christ. I'll just be quiet for a moment and let the Holy Spirit deal with you if he needs to.
Amen.